Amanda, remember that time that Ichabod Crane was a real person? to remember that time in historical podcast i'm your host amanda webb and i'm your host anna webb and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history and it's still spooky season welcome back to the spooky podcast (laughs) it's spooks and ooks over here baby how spooky a ship Boat talk, the most spooky from last episode. Yes, last week it was boat talk. This week it's book talk. Hey, thrilling, thrilling, (laughs) and chilling. Yes, this week we are going to talk about the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, that's so fun! But before we do that, would you like a drink update? I would. It's hot cider today. I'm drinking water. <laughs> Thrilling As and chilling. <laughs> Ooh. Yours is warm and mine is cold. <laughs> it's not that warm anymore. I heated it up quite a while ago. Mine's not that cold either. It's sort of just tepid now. But, you know, that's okay. Uh-huh. Still tastes good. Still tastes good. That's All right. Matters. Well, are we ready to talk about the legend of Sleepy Hollow? Yeah, let's jump right in. Okay, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is a gothic story by the American author Washington Irving, and it is part of a collection of 34 essays and short stories titled The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Ghent. It's more commonly referred to as just The Sketchbook. Mm-hmm. And it's first published in 1819, becomes more widely circulated in 1820, um, and it is one of the earliest examples of American fiction and folklore, and it's widely considered to be America's first ghost story. Oh, that's so fun. I love so, ghost stories. Me too. So I want to talk a little bit about the author first and some of his background, because it's going to provide some context for the story. Okay. Because what, what we're really looking at here is, like, the origins of the story, how it came to be. Uh-huh. And, um, or I guess the elements of the story and where they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the record, Washington Irving is a very interesting person. Like, he could have had his own episode. And maybe but one day he will. Maybe. I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff here, though, because I just wanted to talk about the stuff that's sort of relevant to this story. Sure. Okay. So, Washington Irving is born in 1783 to parents William Irving Sr., who is originally from Scotland, mm-hmm. and Sarah um, Irving, nay Saunders, originally from England. Um, he is one of 11 children, eight of whom survived to adulthood, and he's the youngest of the surviving children. Okay. Um, so, like I said, he's born in 1783. He's born on April 3rd in Manhattan. And it's the same week that New York City residents learn of the British ceasefire, which ended the American Revolution. Oh, wow. So he is born that week. That's wild. 
And his mother actually names him after George Washington. I think I knew that. That's one of those like weird random facts that I think I knew. Yeah. He actually met George Washington um, like shortly after George Washington was inaugurated because he was still living in New York at the time. I think he was like six or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. Um, So the family lives in Manhattan. They're part of the merchant class. Um, And... In 1798, in New York, there's an outbreak of yellow fever. Uh-oh. ruh And this forces the family to send Washington Irving upriver to Terrytown, New York, where he stays with a friend, James Kirk Paulding, who is a writer. Ah, sorry. Every time I hear Terrytown, I think about Breath of the Wild because there's a little town that you help build, which is called Terrytown. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. It's like your town. You helped to build the town and it is delightful. (laughs) Hmm, Interesting. Well, we're going to say it a lot. Excellent. So be ready. Excellent. So in Terrytown, he becomes very familiar with the little village of Sleepy Hollow. Ah. Um, It was not originally named that. It was originally North Terrytown. But later on, they adopt that name because of the popularity of the story. Love that. And I believe they legally changed the name of that village in 1997. That's awesome. And, like, their high school mascot is, like, the horseman, you know? Right. I was about to say, imagine living in a place called Sleepy Hollow. It sounds well, I mean, it's fake. the place. Yeah. It's, it's the place. It just sounds, it sounds like it's from a story. It doesn't sound well, like a like, real thing. It's like Stars, Stars Hollow. Hollow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so this little village is um, comprised of a lot of Dutch immigrants. Mm. So there's a lot of Dutch customs and stories, including ghost stories. Of course. Um, like there's the old Dutch church and the old Dutch graveyard, which is where much of the story takes place, mm-hmm. where there, this is where he first hears the rumor of a Hessian soldier, a headless Hessian soldier buried at this cemetery. Ah. Um, and that's part of where this comes from. And we're going to talk a little bit more about like that particular legend when we get into more about the story. Okay. You know? Um, but anyway, that's where he is at this point in his life. Um, and then a little bit later on, Washington Irving's brothers, who at this point are, I guess, concerned with his health, probably because he's young and living through um, an epidemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't know what that's like. Um, they actually send him to Europe. They decide he should travel around Europe and get away. I wish someone would send me to Europe. I know, right? For my health. Seriously, I, I could, could use, use it. it. Big time. So he's there from 1804 to 1806. Um, there's obviously a lot more about his time there this time around. Um, but that's not really what we need to talk about today. Um After he goes to Europe, he comes back to New York City to study law. He's a very bad student. That does not. I I knew you were going to say that. Of course. Um, Finished up my studies and I practiced law. mm -hmm. Except he did not practice law. He wasn't very good. He only studied it. He wasn't a good student. It didn't last very long. But while he's there, he starts the literary magazine called Salma Gundy. Oh, okay. And I find this really interesting. I just found this quote that says, um, it's not relevant to the story. I just thought it was a fun fact. Um, Salma Gundy 
was a moderate success spreading Irving's name and reputation beyond New York. He gave New York City the nickname Gotham <sighs> in its 17th issue dated November 11th, 1807, an Anglo-Saxon word meaning goat's town. Huh. I never knew that and until now we have this. Batman. Except that, you know, in those movies, well, the um, Dark, Knight. Dark Knight ones, my city is actually Gotham because they shot them in Pittsburgh. And I know a lot of people who stood out in the hot, hot heat in all their winter clothes to be in that scene that at they shot at, at Heinz Field. Because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they shoot winter scenes in the summer. You know how it goes. Yeah. Um, so while he's back in New York... This is when his writing career really sort of begins. Um, and I'm not going to talk a lot about his early works, but he did like um, a history of New York kind of book. And then, I don't know, he he wrote a bunch of stuff while he was there, but that's not really relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, but what is interesting is that obviously in the year 1812, the War of 1812 begins. Oh, yeah, that little ditty. Initially, he's opposed to the war because it has some really bad implications for the merchant class. But then the British attack D.C. in 1814 and he decides to enlist. Yeah, a lot of people forget that they just straight up burned down the White House. We don't Yeah, 100%. I'm going to do an episode on the War of 1812 at one point probably because yeah. it was whack. Yeah, it sure was. Like every other war. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> one was, was weird though. Yeah, it was weird. So he enlists and he serves on the staff of Daniel Tompkins, who was the governor of New York at the time, and the commander of the New York State Militia. He didn't really see any action, but this is important because we're going to reference it for something in the story. Later. Okay, okay. Um, after the war, uh-huh. he goes back to Europe. Um, and this is where he writes... One of his favorites, famous stories, Rip Van Winkle. Oh, yes. I love Rip Van Winkle. Yes. I love that story. So he writes it while he's there. I think he's living in um, England at the time. And that story is part of this collection of short stories, The Sketchbook. I thought it was. Yeah. And so it's published in 1819. And he sends this publication back to his brother, who's still living in New York. Um, and then it starts getting circulated from there. So it was issued in 1819 to 1820 in seven installments in New York and in two volumes in London. And The Legend of Sleepy Hollow appears in the sixth issue of the New York edition and the second volume of the London edition. Okay. Also, I just have, before we move on to the other pieces of the like story i just have a couple of facts about washington irving that i thought were interesting that i'm just gonna pull from his wiki because it was like it it, it's just really really interesting so we already talked about him giving new york the nickname gotham right Uh uh-huh but also he has a character in one of his stories um named dietrich knickerbocker and that's where the new york knicks get their name Is from this character. Huh. The New York Knicks are a basketball team, for those who might not know. Um, He also contributes a bit to how Americans celebrate Christmas. Really? So I'm going to read this little bit here. 
1812 revisions to A History of New York, which is one of his early works, he inserted a dream sequence featuring St. Nicholas soaring over treetops in a flying wagon, an invention which others dressed up as Santa Claus. Huh. Interesting. And then he also, like, in some of the stories in the sketchbook, he would sort of depict this old-fashioned Christmas and the sort of English customs and stuff. And Uh that became very popular once that all got published in America. Right. So I found that really interesting. That is very interesting. And here's one last little thing about him that I find something so he like later in his life goes to spain and he writes a bunch of stories there a lot of them um they're like historical romance right so he will write a bunch of stuff that is based in history but then he adds fiction to it and a lot of them are about that absolute pain in the butt christopher columbus oh boy so he writes one that implies that Christopher Columbus is the person who discovered that the earth was not flat, right? And Uh, that's where that comes from is uh, because he wrote it in a book. So a lot of people, a lot of people believe that Europeans thought that the world was flat prior to Christopher Columbus coming to America. Right. But that comes from this story he wrote. That has never been true about Europeans. Man, he's out here writing... Christopher Columbus fan fiction and ruin the, ruin well, the rest of our lives. Well, I don't know that it was fan fiction. <laughs> it's just that that, was, that piece of information was fiction. Right. And people apparently took it as fact. Oh, man. That is whack. That's so we owe it all to Washington Irving, I guess. That is rough, buddy. Oh, boy. All right. So let's talk about the story specifically. So for those who might not know, because it is a very American story, I don't actually know how well it's circulated in other parts of the world. Um, So here's just like a very quick synopsis that I got from, I pulled it from encyclopedia.com just because it was sort of the most concise. So synopsis of the story. Ichabod Crane, a greedy Yankee school teacher, vies with a local youth for the affections of a rich farmer's daughter. That would be Katrina Von Tassel. Um, On his way home one day, the school teacher is accosted by a figure who appears to be the legendary headless horseman of Sleepy Hollow. And Crane is never seen again. Ah. And in the story, um, like the original story, it sort of like you're led to believe that the horseman went off with his head. But also the story kind of leaves it open to like maybe he just started a new life somewhere else Uh but all the adaptations like remove that part right so because it's better for like film if the head the villain runs off with our hero's head Head. yeah you know it makes it spookier right totally so this is a very popular spooky story because of the headless horseman aspect obviously mm-hmm. um although the story never mentions halloween or that it takes place on halloween right um, huh but there is a lot of halloween imagery that has become associated with it over the well, years well i think that 
Well, just because it's like scary, we all were like, oh, so Halloween. Right. It's scary. And yeah. then because we associate those things together, then other Halloween imagery starts getting yeah. associated with the story. Like I see That's true. Halloween you specific see... adaptations of it where there are like pumpkins in the setting and like, well, you know, yeah, what I or mean? you'll see you'll see the horseman depicted with his head as a pumpkin. Right. And yeah. specific versions of it. You know, That's it's true. just like Disney kind of had an influence on that. Yeah, Disney didn't. Disney did an adaptation of Which it, which I don't and think actually, they do that specifically, but I think that they no, it feeds into that. You know what I mean? A lot of people think that that was the first adaptation of it, but actually, there was an adaptation earlier than that in like the twenties, where uh-huh. it was like a silent film. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, and then there was the Disney one, and then um, Tim Burton did a version where he like changed a bunch of it. So instead of being a school teacher, Ichabod Crane is um a police constable i think like he changed a lot of the story because he's tim burton Uh you know he wants the way he wants it. although who knows maybe somebody else changed it and then he took credit for it because that's kind of his thing yeah entirely possible so anyway let's talk about the parts of the story that were based in fact because i find this really interesting i actually started thinking about this because i saw a tiktok (laughs) because i'm a youth Uh um I don't remember the name of this person's, um, like, their handle, but the series that they do is called, I think, Carter's Condensed History. Mm-hmm. And they did a video talking about this and all the stuff that was, like, pulled from fact. And I just thought it was really interesting. So I wanted to look at a little bit more of that. So the character of our ingenue, Katrina, mm-hmm. Von, Ta- Katrina Van Tassel, is likely based on a real person, Eleanor Van Tassel Brush. So she is the daughter of Major Jacob Van Tassel, who served in the Revolutionary War. Um, And we are going to talk a little bit more about the Van Tassel family here in a minute. Um, But Washington Irving had stayed with them at one point. And um, the name Katrina comes from Eleanor's aunt, her aunt. So, um... He asks Katrina, can I use your name um, in the story? And then, but he kind of bases the character, like the behavior in the story, more on Eleanor. Huh, okay. Um, so the whole Van Tassel family is very deeply involved in like the, the whole story. of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Brom Bones, also featured in the story, is probably modeled after Abraham Mart- Martling, who was the blacksmith in the village of Sleepy Hollow at the time that Washington Irving lived there. Okay, sure. Yeah. And Brom is... Brom was a nickname for, for Abraham, Abraham at yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. I have heard that before. Yeah. Um, also, a lot of the stuff I got from um, Mental Floss had a really good article oh, on it. God so bless I got Floss. some stuff from them. Yeah. Um, Ichabod Crane was a real person. That is so interesting. So when Washington Irving was serving as aide-de-camp for the governor of New York during the war, Uh um, he meets this army captain named Ichabod Crane in Sackett's Harbor, New York. Um, And he likely patterned a lot of the character in the story after someone else named Jesse Merwin, who taught at the local schoolhouse um, in Kinderhook. Um, but he used the name Ichabod Crane. I mean, can you blame him? It's a great name for a character. It is a great name. It's like 
The name feels spooky to me. I don't know why. I agree. And it fits the... Um, it sort of fits gothic. With all of the gothic and also all the other Dutch names. It like really slots right in with those and has mm-hmm. a similar vibe. It just fits well. Yeah. And it's very, it's a very iconic type of name. Like when you think of you remember story, it. you think of Ichabod yeah. Crane, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so now let's talk about the Headless Horseman, which is like the big part of the story. Okay. The, the ghosty part of the story. Yeah. So the Headless Horseman likely has European origins, which he might have heard about during his time in europe right we already talked about he initially kind of heard about it while he was in um when he was living in the village um in tarrytown but like a lot of the sort of lore of it already existed in europe and he probably heard a lot about it when he was there when he was there right yeah so they were sort of staples of northern europe stor- storytelling they were featured in german irish Scandinavian and British legends. Uh-huh. They were usually seen as omens of ill fortune for those who chose to disregard their apparitions. Um, and so it says, quote, these specters found their victims in proud, scheming persons and characters with hubris and arrogance. Uh-huh, sure. Which kind of plays into the characterization of it. They, you know, the horseman thinks that this guy's gotten you know, he's gone, reached above his class uh-huh. to flirt with this woman, you know? Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. Um, There's a theory that the one in the story is inspired by the German folktale The Wild Huntsman, which he probably heard when he was traveling in Europe again. Um, I liked this quote. It was from a website called Hic- History Detectives dot new york nyhistory.org um there was a really good article about this the horseman on there that Uh i recommend people read it was really interesting um but this says um irving describes uh in the story irving describes the horseman as quote the ghost of a hessian trooper whose head had been carried off by a cannonball in some nameless battle during the revolutionary war end quote a bit of fictionalizing about the German troops who were hired by the British that might have some basis in fact. Oh, okay. And there are like a couple stories about this particular Hessian soldier. Like, right, like one you mentioned of them, earlier. Well, one of them was like somebody, I can't remember who it was, wrote down after a battle that you know, they saw this person's head get taken off by, you know, artillery. And they, like, wrote it down in their journals so people think it happened. But the one that probably was the story spreading around the village, I think, is more interesting. Okay. <laughs> um. Again, I got this quote from Mental Floss because I really liked the way the writer, you know, put it together. So I'm just going to read it. Okay. Mm-hmm. The farm of Cornelius and Elizabeth Van Tassel was raided by British and Hessian soldiers in November 1777. When the Van Tassels tried to fight, the soldiers responded by burning down their farmhouse. First, however, they took the inhabitants of the house hostage. While they watched their house burn, Elizabeth noticed that her baby, Leah, was nowhere to be found. She tried to run back into the burning house to find her, but couldn't. 
That's when a Hessian soldier led her to a shed where someone had wrapped the baby up in a blanket and left her safe and sound. The Van Tassels were so grateful that when a Hessian soldier missing his head was found in Sleepy Hollow, they insisted on burying him properly in case it was the soldier who had been kind to them. Oh, I love that. I do too. So this is the one that's actually buried in the the church, in the cemetery. Like you can go to this grave. It's there. Just Um, because it might have been the person who helped them. So I think it's an amalgamation of those two stories, right? Sure. Like this is the Hessian soldier that someone saw. Well, that I think he probably to. gets the tropes. No, I meant from... the the like the story of this particular soldier. Oh, okay, I see what right. you're saying. Sorry, yeah. but go ahead and say what you were. I was say. just saying. I'm sure he gets the the tropes of the of a headless horseman from right. those other European folklore stories. And then mm-hmm. combined it with this specific ghost story that he was probably told while he was living there. Yeah, to, and he to was create that that story. He was pretty young too when he was originally living there. So, you know, you have to think maybe this was a story that stuck with him as like a really interesting ghost story. Sure, absolutely. That then he used for his his ghost story, right? So for sure, I just I just found all that really interesting. That's all I had. I mean, it was a shorter one, but I just am really interested in all those where he pulled the aspects of the story from. Mm -hmm. And well, it's it's it is very when you talk about it being probably the first American ghost story Mm -hmm. that it's really telling of most early American literature because it pulls from all of these different stories and different cultures because we didn't have our own um, to create a new story. And so it feels only fitting that like our first ghost story would be made sort of the same way to like combine all of these aspects of different cultures and, and folklore and add in the setting of the, of the place where they live to create something like that, you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. And I also found um, an article, and now I can't remember where it was because I closed the tab and that's on me. Uh-huh. Um, I can't remember where it was, but there was a really interesting article about how the um, yellow fever epidemic probably really um, influenced the characterizations of a lot of the people in the sure, story. yeah. Because along with that epidemic came a lot of xenophobia and that kind yes. of thing. And um, and also, you know, he was a person who experienced this, this sort of social aspects of this disease happening. Uh-huh. And probably put a lot of that into how he characterized the, the people uh-huh. that were in the story. Because the story, though he wrote it later takes place in that time just like around revolutionary war times you know right well before before america was america right technically and you have to think when you're a small child and there's something that extreme happening around you and you're hearing ghost stories that's the kind of thing that's gonna stick to your head to come back to later you know to make a story out of you really internalize that for sure for sure 
Did you, were you able to find anything about if, like, people from Sleepy Hollow have any actual tales of, like, seeing that ghost around? Um, I didn't look too deeply into that just because I figured, like, yeah, there's probably got to be a ton. Sure. I do know it's technically considered, like, one of the most haunted places in America. Sure, which Um, tracks. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff is, like, so the bridge that they ride across, the original bridge isn't technically there anymore, but they have built like a bridge in honor of it in the same spot right. so you can like cross it you can do a lot of the stuff that's in the story right um so i'm sure that that happens literally all the time right, you gotta get that tourism <laughs> money baby yeah so you know i don't know about like actual like paranormal sightings uh-huh. and stuff like that but I imagine just it being kind of set the way that it is in the town that people at least think they see it all the time. Right. Well, I'm sure a lot of those ghost stories circulating when he was young were people's not just stories, but like experiences of seeing things around. Oh, yeah. You know. For sure. Yeah. And more like the Dutch traditions of like what what they believed regarding spirits and that kind of thing. Right. They probably had very deep experiences with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting Absolutely. and spooky. And I really enjoyed researching it. Yeah. Even though it was short, but I did do a lot of research to <laughs> yeah, make yeah. sure I got the stories straight because there's like a lot of conflicting stuff or like the details are slightly off. So I was doing a lot of clicking around. Finding the information on the Van Tassels was like looking through like grave records and stuff sure um because that was the only place i could find like sure. their actual information uh-huh. um but yeah so i would i really would love to go there for me it's like salem right yeah like, i just want to go and see it all there yeah but yeah can so. I, since this is short, give a book recommendation based of course of you can so if you are interested in ghost stories Based mm, I know what you're gonna do. <laughs> real um tales. Wait, I have to go find the author because I can't remember it. Hold on two seconds. I'll cut this out in post. For okay. One <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, if you like these types of ghost stories that are based off of like real folklore told and shared ghost stories, there's a book called The Tale The Telltale Lilac Bush by mm-hmm. Ruth Ann Music. Um, and it's West Virginia ghost stories, obviously, because of who I am as a person um, and my interests. But uh, the author was a professor at a college in Fairmont. And over the years, she collected ghost stories from her students and other people in her life. And then she, you know, spiced them up a little bit and, and wrote a couple of collections of ghost stories. So there's the Telltale Lilac Bush and also one called Coffin Hollow. Um fantastic reads highly recommend yeah. if you are interested in this at all if you're into west virginia folklore this is required reading yes like you have to read this book it's so but great. also just if you like ghost stories it's really well oh done. yeah for sure yeah and they're all based off of like people's actual experiences and tales that she like collected as a project it's so cool yeah lots of hauntings in west virginia uh-huh I mean, we both lived in a haunted building for part of our college sure life. Enough. So that place. I was telling a friend about that place the other night. She did not like the sound of it. <laughs> I was like, it was fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
that I know it was a short one, sorry, but um, you know, we got a lot going on right now. So yeah, I'll short, take it. short episodes are short not Short so edit bad. for Chagirl, I will take. Yeah. Um, and that is our last spooky episode oh, of the year because we only goes. do two episodes. It comes of, and goes so fast. I know, but you know what, you guys? That means it's almost time for the Christmas creep. Yes. Uh, we're getting close. Uh, I'm starting to feel it. I'm trying not to because I want to hold on to the Halloween goodness. But, but I can see November on the horizon. Yeah. So we're still looking for some holiday episode suggestions for December. We're not going to do holiday episodes in November promise um but we're still kind of trying to suss that out so if there's anything anybody wants to hear about um holiday wise um what we have done just to let you know um was our first special we did some background on different christmas traditions and then we did um different wintertime different, holidays yeah like the history behind different winter holidays and then last year we did some uh, events that happened like on Christmas, mm-hmm. some historical events. So that's what we've done. So we're running out of stuff. So if you have any suggestions um, for that or for anything else, you can email them to us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. Um, or you can find us on Facebook if you just search for the name of the podcast. If that's where you like to see our posts for when the new episodes go up. Um, We would really love it if you'd leave us a kind rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at The Real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Wow, spooky season. It came and it went. It sure did. And it was spooky. (laughs) It was mostly spooky, yeah. Boats and boats. Well, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen next time. Me Who either. knows? November is really up in the air right now in a lot of ways. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but until next time. Remember that time. Remember that time.